let's go ahead and launch into our sermon here, on our sermon series. We're starting a new sermon series called When Love Calls Your Name. And we're going to be looking at the Christmas story over the next four weeks. And so I'm going to be reading from Luke 1, 5 through 25, that can be found in the insert that you have, or of course, in your Bibles. This is Luke 1, 5 through 25. Hear the word of the Lord. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were upright in the sight of the Lord, observing all the Lord's commands and regulations blamelessly. But they had no children because Elizabeth was barren and they were both well along in years. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as a priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and to burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to give him the name John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from birth. Many of the people of Israel will he bring back to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, How can I be sure of this? I am an old man, and my wife is well along in years. The angel answered, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their proper time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondered why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. And then he realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace from the people. The word of the Lord. Well, did you have a good Thanksgiving? I hope you did. We ate like kings at my house. But it's so amazing how it's out with the old and in with the new. Before you know it, Thanksgiving is gone and Black Friday is in. Anybody participate in Black Friday? My, my wife cajoled me into participating in Black Friday. By the way, who came up with the name Black Friday? It, it sounds like a plague. Did, weren't 15 million people killed in Europe by Black Friday? I think it was the Black Plague, but they're about the same. So needless to say, I got up at 5.30, you know, I'm out there at Office Depot, you know, getting something, blah, 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 and all these. And I'm looking around, I'm going to myself, what is, what is going on here with all of these people? What would cause them to get up and to come out here? The answer is hope. Hope to get that sale. Hope to get that money, that additional savings there, and to get that present, which they just got to have. Got to have hope. Well... Christmas is the season of hope, isn't it? 
with four kids in my house, we've got plenty of hope running around right now. Hope for all of the things that are going to come under the tree. I sat down with one of my kids and I asked them what they wanted for Christmas and he told me that he wanted a, a game system, an electric scooter, and a video camera. And I told him, no problem, I would be right back after I knocked off the local Wachovia to make this dream come true for him. It's the season of hope. I don't know if you can remember as a kid that eager expectation and that excitement of Christmas Day coming. I can. I remember there was this one gift that I really wanted. It was a BB gun rifle, a Daisy BB rifle. All I wanted to do was to terrorize the, the neighborhood with my BB Daisy rifle. Well, that's a bit extreme, but I did want the rifle. And so I told my parents about it, and, uh, you know, they gave that knowing smile. Well, we'll see, we'll see. And, you know, I'd go to the tree every day, and no rifle, no rifle. And then one day, there it was, a long oblong box sitting underneath the tree. And I knew it had to be the rifle. I mean, what else would be in that shape? And yet there was a little seed of doubt. And I went to my parents, oh, this has got to be the rifle. They said, no, 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 that's a broom. That's a broom. It's not a rifle. <laughs> but I knew that a broom would not be able to fit in that box. And so every day I'd stare at it, waiting for Christmas Day. And sure enough, Christmas Day comes along. I open up the package, and there for me is my shiny Daisy BB rifle. Now I could terrorize the neighborhood with my BB rifle. You know, I thought to myself, as I, my wife asked me uh, a couple of days ago, well, what do you want for Christmas? And I paused and I thought to myself, and you know, I couldn't think of one thing that I wanted for Christmas. Where did that eager expectation as a child go to now? Now, sure, I'm so more mature and I can look at things, and, but it's easy for us to lose that expectation, that hope. Where is that gone? Where did it go? And I think as I pondered this question, I came up with the answer. The answer is disappointment. You see, as we start to get older, things start to change. You know, maybe there was that you got a little older and you wanted that present and you really wanted it, but you, you, it just never showed up. It never was quite there because it was either too expensive or maybe your parents forgot about it. And you start to realize that your parents aren't infallible that they don't have all the answers. And so there's that seed of disappointment realizing that your parents aren't all that. Or maybe you actually got that thing that you wanted and that you had hoped for and prayed for, but you opened it up and you used it and it wasn't like advertised. You know, the marketer said that it would do this, but it didn't quite do that and it did this and you leave with a sense of kind of emptiness and I thought it would do this and so we become disappointed in things. And we get a little bit older and we enter into relationships with people, whether it's friendships or that special guy or that special girl. And, you know, it seemed like it was working out, but, but then things kind of went south and you realize that people can't meet that need in your heart either. And we become disappointed with people. And then finally you get a little bit older and you're looking at your life a little bit and sometimes you look at it and you thought it was going to turn out like this, but it kind of turns out like this and you thought that the shiny package was going to look like that, but my life doesn't, and so we can become disappointed in life. And ultimately, all of this comes around back to being disappointed with God. See, the scriptures say that a longing fulfilled is a tree of life, but hope deferred makes the heart sick. And yet we come to this Advent, this Christmas season, and we feel a faint wind sort of stirring in our hearts, this hopefulness of the coming of this one called the Christ, and our hearts are stirred, and yet 
we're a little jaded. We're a little not as eager to embrace what we're hearing. We've been fooled a couple of times. We don't want to necessarily be fooled again, and so we've lost hope. Where does one go when they have lost hope? That's why I love Christmas, because the answer is when we've lost hope, we look to Jesus, because in Jesus, the hope of God is revealed, and the promises of God are fulfilled. In Jesus, the hope of God is revealed, and the promises of God are fulfilled. Over the next five weeks, we're going to be taking a little tour, looking through the eyes of Christmas, through the eyes of different people. Zechariah, the old priest. Mary, the teenage girl. Elizabeth, the barren mother. Joseph, the young husband. Looking through at this one called Christ. And my hope is that as we look through their eyes, that we might be able to see in ourselves a re-embracing of that hope that perhaps we had lost. Well, let's take a look at this one, Zechariah. See, Zechariah was a man who had lost hope, serving in a country that had lost hope. He was a priest of the division of Abijah, so that meant he was a descendant of Aaron. And all of his life was devoted to service of God, specifically several times a year in the temple. He would have been the modern equivalent of what we would have called a pastor. Now, he was married to Elizabeth, who was also a descendant of Aaron. So Elizabeth, it would be like a pastor marrying the daughter of a pastor. He was a religious man, and he was even the real deal. We see here in the scriptures that it says that they were upright in the sight of the Lord, observing all of the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. Now, it's important to note that doesn't mean that they were perfect people. The Hebraic understanding of blamelessly means that they observed all of the law, which meant also the law requiring for them to sacrifice for their sin, to plead for the mercy of God, to understand that they had not been faithful and blameless before God. That's what blameless means. But they were an upright people. Now, Zechariah served in the temple. And the temple of God was a place where the presence of God had not been felt or heard from for over 420 years. Day after day, they would go into the temple to do these variety of things, but no one had heard from God. No one had seen God from over 420 years. Because Zechariah knew the scriptures, he knew that there was this one who was supposed to come, this one called the Messiah. He would have memorized in Hebrew, Isaiah 9, 6, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. He would know all of those things, and yet no one had heard from God. He would know that the very last book of the Bible was the book of Malachi, the last prophet who would have come. And he would know the scripture that said in Malachi 3.1 that, See, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord who you are seeking will come to his temple, the messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come. And finally, he would know the last verse of the Bible in the Old Testament, Malachi 4.6. See, I will send you the prophet Elijah before the great and awesome day of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of their fathers to their children and the hearts of their children to the Father, lest I come and strike the land with a curse. See, he would understand that Israel had been unfaithful to God, that though God had come to dwell with his people in the temple, that God had given them the laws of how they would live in order to keep peace with God, he would understand that Israel had neglected those laws. 
And as God had sent prophets to warn them again and again, Israel had been unfaithful. And in the book of the Ezekiel, we see the glory of the Lord departing from the temple. And so all of Israel was left with this hope that one would come, the messenger who would come for the Messiah to prepare the way that God again would be united with these people. And yet day after day came, and no one came. Israel was like um, the uh, people going to the Christmas tree, looking for that present. And they went again and again and again, but there was no present. It never came. And so what must have been on Zechariah's mind as he walked into the temple to burn incense? See, this was Zechariah's one time to do this. Every day, twice a day, a priest would come in to burn incense. And the incense was to symbolize the prayers of the people, the prayers coming for the Messiah, for the atonement of the Israelite people. This was his one chance. Yet if we do the math on how many people had gone in to burn incense, he was priest number 312,000. So, of course, he was surprised when the angel appeared to him on the right side of the altar. And what did this angel say? I've heard your prayer, Zechariah. And he begins to quote. What does he quote? That you will bear a son, and this messenger, that he will come. He will never take wine or fermented drink. Many of the people of Israel he will bring back to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah would have known exactly what he was saying. Here was it, the long-awaited messenger who was coming. And yet how did Zechariah react? Joy? Thankfulness? Excitement? No. Doubt, disbelief, and skepticism. In fact, if you read the Greek, literally, it says, prove it. I can't believe this. Prove it. Because as Zechariah looked around at his circumstances, what did he see? A nation uh, subjugated to the Romans. 420 years of silence. No prophets for 400 years. 312 priests before him. It couldn't be happening. He even knew the story of Abraham and Sarah. He had studied it where an angel came and told them that they would bear a son, the, the one of the promise, and yet he couldn't believe it because of his circumstances. Isn't it ironic that it took 400 years for the message to come, and yet the message would have to lay silent a little bit more because the one who believed couldn't speak it to the people of Israel. Again, it's easy to look down on Zechariah, but haven't we all been there ourselves? Many of us can experience the same feeling that Zechariah had with God with ourselves, that we've gone to the Christmas tree looking for this present of God, and yet we haven't had them. Maybe there was a, a time in your life where you experienced great disappointment. You know, many of us come from broken families, and we've experienced divorce in our life, either with ourselves or with our parents. And maybe there was a time when you really looked for God, and yet you couldn't find him. You went to the tree, and he wasn't there. And you went once, and you went twice, but he wasn't there. And then, for some reason, you stopped hoping. You doubted his character. You didn't believe his promises. It was too painful that he would come through. What do we do when we, lost, when we lose hope? Well, the beauty is that we lie on the other side of the promise. 
Unlike Zechariah, we can look back upon time and we can see that, in fact, God has come through. For a child was born and a son was given, and his name was Jesus. He was the one sent from God, and what did he do when he lived? He declared the love of God. He told us that the Son of Man came not into the world, but to condemn the world, but to save the world. He said that God loved us, and that whoever hears these words of mine, of Jesus, and believes them has eternal life, and he will not be condemned, that he has crossed over from death to life. He, came the pro- he gave the promises and the hope of God. And further, he demonstrated the love of God by dying on a cross. Romans 5, 8 tells us this, <clears throat> that God demonstrates his own love for us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And Christ demonstrated the power of God and the authority of God by rising from the dead, by appearing to over 500 people, and by birthing the church. And here we are 2,000 years later, in the institution which Christ has founded. See, we don't need to guess what God is thinking of of us like Zechariah because we have seen it. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. When we have lost hope, where can we look? We can look to Jesus because in Jesus, the hope of God is revealed and the promises of God are fulfilled. So my question for you this Christmas is, will you look for Christ? Will you look for this present that is given for all of us today? It's easy in this age to experience skepticism and doubt. But my hope for us as a church is we'll be willing to examine the promises of Christ, to look again with eyes of a child and not with the disappointment of of adult, because if we do, we will see that in Christ, the hope of God is revealed and the promises of God are fulfilled. Well, this brings me to my second point, because I think the reason why it was so hard for Zechariah to believe the promises of God was not necessarily um, that they were coming, but how they were coming. Because the angel told Zechariah that you will bear the son, this messenger, the one called Christ. See, Zechariah and Elizabeth were not only called to witness the messenger, they were called to bear the messenger. Now think about that. This was Zechariah, an old man who never had any children. Now back in that time, to not have children was to be, it was to be considered a disgrace, almost that God had not blessed you with a child. And so Zechariah and Elizabeth lived with this secret shame in their life, that maybe something was wrong with them, that God had forgotten them. And here was this angel, the angel Gabriel, who stood in the presence of God telling them that the messenger was going to come, Zechariah, and guess what? He's going to come from you. Zechariah must have said, why? Why Why me? I'm just an old priest. I'm number 312,000. Why me? What do I have to offer? And this is where we see the beauty of the gift of God. Because the gift that God gave to Zechariah is not because of the goodness of Zechariah, but rather because of the goodness and the graciousness of God. The name John itself in Hebrew means God is gracious. See, we tend to think that the gift that God gives to us is based on the performance that we do. But the answer of the Christmas story is the exact opposite. It's not because of the faithfulness of us. It's because of the faithfulness of him. The word Zechariah, the name Zechariah means God remembers. 
And the name Elizabeth means his oath. God remembers his oath. And the oath that God has given throughout the scriptures is that God will give a son, a wonderful counselor, prince of peace who will come and restore his people, who will reconcile man to God. And so God has chosen to bless his people through the one Christ. In the Savior, we receive the favor of God. And so we ask the question, why me? A wealthy man and his son loved to collect rare works of art. They had everything in their collection, from Picasso to Raphael. And they would often sit together and admire the great works of art. When the Vietnam conflict broke out, the son went to war. He was very courageous, and he died in battle while rescuing another soldier. His father was notified, and he grieved deeply for his only son, the son that he loved. Well, about a month later, just before Christmas, there was a knock at the door. A young man stood at the door with a large package in his hands, and he said, Sir, you don't know me, but I am the soldier for whom your son gave his life. He saved many lives that day, and he was carrying me to safety when a bullet struck him in the heart, and he died instantly. He often talked about you and your love of art. <clears throat> the young man held out this package. I know that it isn't much. I'm not really a great artist, but I think your son would have wanted you to have this. The father opened the package, and it was a portrait of his son painted by the young man. He stared in awe at the way the soldier had captured the personality of the son he was painting. The father was drawn so much to the eyes that his own eyes welled up with tears, and he thanked the young man and offered to pay him for the gift. Oh, no, sir, I, I could never repay what your son did for me. This, this is a gift. And so the father hung the portrait over his mantle, and every time visitors came to his home, he took them to see the portrait of the son before he showed them any of the other great works he had collected. Well, the man died about a year later, and there was to be a great auction of his paintings. Many influential people gathered, excited over seeing the great paintings and having an opportunity to purchase one for their collection. On the platform sat the painting of the son. The auctioneer pounded his gavel. Who will start the bidding with the picture of the son? Who will bid for this picture? There was silence. Then a voice in the back of the room shouted, We want to see the famous paintings. Skip this one. But the auctioneer persisted. Will someone bid for this painting? Who will start the bidding? $100, $200. Another voice shouted angrily, We didn't come to see this painting. We came to see the Van Goghs, the Rembrandts. Get on with the real bids. But still the auctioneer continued, The sun, who will take the sun? Finally, a voice came from the very back of the room. It was a longtime gardener of the man and his son. I'll give $10 for the painting. Being a poor man, it was all he could afford. We have $10. Who will bid $20? Give it to him for $10. let us see the masters. $10 is the bid. Won't someone bid $20? The crowd was becoming angry. They didn't want the picture of the son. They wanted the more worthy investments for their collections. The auctioneer pounded the gavel, going once, going twice, sold for $10. A man sitting in the second row shouted, Now let's get on with the collection. The auctioneer laid down his gavel. I'm sorry, the auction is over. What, what about the paintings? I'm sorry. When I was called to conduct this auction, I was told of a secret stipulation in the will. I was not allowed to reveal the stipulation until this time. Only the painting of the sun would be auctioned. Whoever bought that painting would inherit the entire estate, including the paintings. He who gets the sun gets everything. 
We struggle to believe that the promises of God are true, but even more, we struggle to believe that the promises of God are for you. See, many of us, we know that the answer, yes, Christ came into the world. Yes, he's God. Yes, he he's loves the world. But does he love me? That's the question that we struggle with. But the answer is he does, because whoever gets the Son gets everything. See, Jesus sent the Son to make you a son. Jesus sent the Son to make you a daughter. John 1.12 tells us this, Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And listen to Romans 8.15, For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship, and by him we cry, Daddy, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And if we are God's children, we are his heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. See, the presence of God is a living present. And if you get Christ, if you choose Christ as Lord and Savior, you get all of the benefits that come with the Son. Think of all the favor that Jesus Christ has with his Father, the love between the Father and the Son that comes to us who are the inheritors of the promises of God in Christ. Think of the joy that Jesus Christ has in being in the presence of his Father that we get to participate and partake of. Why? Because of our faithfulness? No, because of his faithfulness. Think of the inheritance that comes for the people of God, the reign of God, that it comes to Christ and that comes through Christ to you and me. Think of the promises. The scriptures say that no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has in store for those who love him. And this is 2 Corinthians 1.21. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. So the question before us today is how do we appropriate the gift of the Son? I have a beautiful present here. <clears throat> Lovely, nice big present. Who wants it? <laughs> Kids always. No, seriously, who wants it? Who wants the present? Who wants the present? You do. You do. Well, what do you do if you want a present? Come get it. <laughs> open it up right here in front of me. Will you open up the present? Kids know how to open presents very well. Thank you. I'll give this present to you in a little bit. I want to show what it is on the inside. See, the present of God is Jesus Christ. God gave his son, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever so believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. He who has the son gets everything. And so there's one thing left to do. If you get the son, if you choose the son, there's one thing left to do, and that is to rejoice in the son and to ponder the son. You know, in my experience with watching people open up presents, there are two kind of present openers in my family at least, one who I call the hurricane. The hurricane can't wait to get down to the Christmas tree, okay? And when they get down to the Christmas tree, it is like a Tasmanian devil. The goal of them is to open up all the presents as fast as possible. 
and they're ripping it up. And you better watch out because there's like shrapnel coming at you. And so they open up one present, they put it down. They open up another present, they put it down. They open up, boom, 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 all the way across. The hurricane. But there is one other type of gift opener. And I call this person the saverer. Here's what the saver does. He comes or she and gets the gift and loves the gift. Doesn't want to miss any, any ounce of it. And so they read the card, looking at the card. Oh, look at this wrapping. It's so, so beautiful. The hurricane's going crazy because usually you go in order and they're like, open the present. I want to get to the next present. But no, the saver wants to enjoy every single aspect of this gift, to open it up, to treasure it, and to ponder it. See, that's what Advent's all about, isn't it? Why do you think God had Zechariah close his mouth and be silenced for the term of the pregnancy? Because Zechariah needed to take the time to ponder and to think about all that he had known. He knew all the promises of God. He could have quoted this Bible, but this had to move from here down to here. And you know, there's another person in this story, isn't there? Her name was Elizabeth, the one who had to do all the work, right? How did Elizabeth respond when she heard this news? It says that she went into seclusion for the next five months. You ever wonder why she did that? Why did she go into seclusion? You know, usually we go into seclusion when we feel shame, when we are embarrassed, but we don't see that at all with Elizabeth. In fact, we see what Elizabeth says in verse 25, that the Lord has done this for me. In these days he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. I believe the reason that Elizabeth went into seclusion is because she wanted to ponder this great honor and gift that God had given to her, to savor it instead of being a hurricane. Sometimes that's the hardest thing to do in our culture, isn't it? We live in a fast world. Everything in Christmas says to go as fast as you can and move on. We live in a world where we can get fast food so we can eat faster. High-speed internet so we can surf faster. Facebook and text messaging so we can communicate faster. But God calls us this Advent season to stop, to slow down, to open up the gift, and to ponder it. And that is what I believe that God is calling us to do. I'll finish with one more story and then close. I heard the story of a farmer who uh, had inherited some land, and he worked the land all day, all day, and he had a large family, but he never could quite seem to get enough out of the land, and so his family always lived on the edge of poverty as he struggled to meet the needs of his family. But then one day, there was a knock on his door. You see, an oil company had been doing some exploring, and they had discovered that underneath this man's territory was a vast uh, deposit of oil. And with his permission, he would receive a $20 million installment. The money would start coming every 30 days. Boom, boom, boom. Of course, the farmer was overjoyed. There would be no longer struggling and starving to feed his family. Wow, great days had come. Now, here's the question for you. When did the farmer become rich? Was it when they did the exploring? Was it when he came to the door? Or was it when he got the check? The answer is none of those things. He became rich when he inherited the land. See, when we inherit the land, when you choose to believe in the Christ, all of the promises become yours. 
But we must examine the promises of God, lest we fly by them and we do not understand and take in this inheritance which God has given to us. What if we were a church that did that this Advent season? What if we were a family or a person that did that this Advent season? To take every time, just a little time every day to go into seclusion with God's word to ponder the promises of God. I think that we would experience the joy of Christmas, that that would be manifested in the life of this church, and I don't believe there would be enough chairs to fill up this room for the people who are searching for the gift that is greater than all gifts. Where do we go when we have lost our hope? We look to Jesus, because in Jesus is the hope of God revealed and the promises of God fulfilled. Let's pray. Lord, it's all too easy to be like Zechariah. We know the promises. We know the truth. We know that we live on the other side of the coming of Jesus. And yet, Lord, our hearts have grown strangely dim to the inheritance that you've given us. Lord, we pray that you would cause us to look anew, to ponder the great gift of the Son who has given us an inheritance that cannot be calculated. Lord, we pray this Advent season that we would experience the joy of being your children, not because of our faithfulness, but because of your graciousness. All of this we pray in the name of Christ. Amen. Now we get an opportunity to respond to the Lord with our offerings. We have a piece of paper here. There's many ways that we give back to the Lord. Obviously, financially is one of them to help our church function. And so as you're doing that, uh, you can process that. If you're a visitor to our church, don't feel in any way compelled to give. We're just glad that you're here visiting and spending time with us. We would love if you would fill this out as a visitor so we would uh, know you're here and we could send you a welcome letter and uh, just that we appreciate uh, you coming with us. As well, there are different areas. Maybe there's an area that you want to serve in this church to give back by offering of your time and service. There's another way to check one of those. I would encourage you just to fill that out and drop that in the offering plate as it comes around. So let's go ahead and take up the offering.
be seated. Well, we've heard the gospel. Now we get to see the gospel as we come to the communion table. One of the great things about the last book of the Bible is it describes a feast. 